Let me pray for us. Father, um, here we are Sunday morning, and we've come to be with you, but you know that we come distracted. We always tend to come distracted. And pray that you'd um, help us set things aside and focus on you now. And do please give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Uh, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, a lot of you, uh, actually there aren't that many of you it feels like today, <laughs> second service here, some small number of you might know that I married an Oregonian. That's a person from Oregon. And uh, my Oregonian has always been very excited about Oregon. And I met Mary uh, in Southern California, actually, at a four-week conference that I was attending. And uh, in the course of the uh, conference, I mean, I hate to say this, but I fell hopelessly in love with this Oregonian. And, um, and so at the end of it, she was going to drive back up to Oregon. And I thought, I said, well, why don't you take a week and drive back up and kind of show me California and Oregon, you know? And she decided to do that because I'm really good looking, I guess, you know? <laughs> So we took a week to drive back up the coast, and I got to see the redwood forest, which was really spectacular. That was amazing. Such huge trees. After that, all of the trees looked like sticks, you know, after you've been through the redwoods. But we got to Oregon, and when we got to Oregon, my first reaction was, I would really like to live here. This is so beautiful. It was so colorful. Everything in Oregon is so colorful because uh, it rains 200 and some days a year, you know. But it's this, this day, it happened to be sunny, and so it seduced me. But it was sunny. This, it, the sky is this beautiful blue, and the grass is so green. And you're in this Willamette Valley, which is this really broad, flat valley. And you look one direction. You look to the east and you see snow-capped mountains in the middle of summer. And then you look to the other direction, to the west, and you see these other mountains, not snow-capped, but these other mountains there. And you're in between these two ridges <coughs> of north-south mountains. And once you're there, you realize that in one hour, you can be to the top of that snow-peaked mountain over here. And as you go, up there, it's just this thick, green forest you're going through. It's just amazing. And then if you go an hour the other way, you are at the ocean. <clears throat> and I don't mean like a Virginia ocean. I mean a West Coast ocean that is so dramatic where it just kind of comes down. The mountains kind of stop at the ocean. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And so... Um, my reaction was, whoa, I would really like to live here. And it wasn't, but how many years later? Three years later, and what do you know? I was living in Oregon, which was just wonderful. And I wish, in one sense, that I could take you all to Oregon. Kansas is nice. I really do like Kansas. But <laughs> when I, the sermon today 
is similar to what I just did with you because we're going to be in Revelation 4. And John in Revelation, the whole book, basically John does a travel log in a sense. He describes some things he has seen. And his goal is not so much to give you a list of propositions that he wants you to understand as much as that he's describing something he wants to draw you into. And it's almost like he says, I want to take you to Oregon so you can see this place. And this, in this case, he's saying, I want to take you to a place that I was, which is unbelievable. And the job that you have is not to go there and hear a bunch of propositions. But as you read the book of Revelation, you read it with your imagination and you read it with your eyes. You, you go into it and you experience what he's, he's introducing you to. And so this morning, we're going to go through Revelation 4. And I'm, I'm inviting you, I'm asking you to close your eyes. Not really close your eyes, but, you know, nobody close your eyes. But close your eyes and your imagination here and try to see what he is showing to you. In a sense, we're going to walk in. I want you to look around. I want you to listen to what you hear. And I want you to react to it. Okay? How does it make you feel? What does it make you think? Are you confused or what? And if you do that, what he is trying to accomplish will actually happen in you. So here we go. Revelation 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. And from the th throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. And before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second one was like an ox. The third one had the face of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne 
and worship him who lives forever and ever. They'd lay their crowns before the throne and say, Worthy, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. <clears throat> the first thing he sees is a door. It's standing open. Do you see the door? And I don't know what goes through his mind. And maybe he's thinking, I wonder what's behind that door. Or he might be thinking, ooh, I wonder what's behind this door. Because he's just been through these other visions he's had. But there's a door, there's something beyond. And before he can even think about it, he says, at once, I was in the spirit. And there before me stood a throne in heaven. So he's in the room, and the first thing he sees is a throne. Now, I don't know how he thought, knew it was a throne. He doesn't tell us. I assume it's a chair. Maybe it's on an elevated platform a bit. It's the place that's the focus of the room. It's the place of honor, authority. It's a place of power. But he sees a throne, and someone is sitting on it. Someone. He doesn't seem to know who. Someone is sitting on the throne. And interesting, he doesn't tell us much about the someone. There's not what you might expect. There's no comment about the steely blue eyes of the king and the strong hands or anything like that. You know, someone's sitting there, <coughs> but, <coughs> excuse me, but what he sees, what does he see? What is it? He, he sees light and color. The appearance was like jasper and carnelian, like gems. It's light that's as if gemstones are kind of lit from within or from behind. There are reds uh, and sort of a diamondy white, it seems like, color. And this light sort of reaches out and envelops everything else in the room. It dominates because everything is washed in this color. There's a sense of intensity about what he sees with this light. And there's this emerald kind of halo even around that light, it says, like a rainbow that reaches out. Uh, and you know, it doesn't come across, it seems, as scary so much as beautiful. This is really pretty. It's like jasper and carnelian, this emerald rainbow sitting on the throne. And then, though, there's the lightning coming out of this light also, and rumbling of thunder. The other day when it was uh, thundering and lightning, I was kneeling beside my daughter Sarah, and all of a sudden there was a flash of lightning and rumble. And it just, it kept rumbling, you know, it kept rumbling. And I was kneeling on the floor, and the whole floor was shaking. And, of course, I was thinking about the sermon. <laughs> uh, and so he looks at the throne, and at the same time as he sees this beautiful light and colors, there's, things are shaking. There's this noise of thunder, and lightning is coming out of the light. And lightning is sort of scary. There, there's the danger part of it, it feels. You, know, you don't want to get too close to lightning. 
<clears throat> and it feels very alive and powerful and, and maybe dangerous also. If the light had the sense of dominating things just because of its brightness, now this demands your attention because of this thunder and lightning coming out of the throne. And before the throne, it says, in front of the throne, there are seven torches blazing. And somehow John knows they're not just torches. They are seven spirits whose bodies are flame. Can you see that? In front of the throne, seven spirits with bodies of flame. Now there's light coming out of the throne, and then there's this flame in front of the throne. And you think, why are those spirits there? What is their role? What happens if I get close? Is this like, are they lighting the way? Or, or is this a barrier? And then underneath of all this, he says, the floor is like glass. It's like a sea of crystal. And that would intensify everything because all of this light coming from the throne and from these torches and the lightning would be reflected in that floor. And it makes everything twice as deep, twice as big. You've been in a cathedral maybe or some large room with a highly polished marble floor. And you know what it does, it makes it just feel that much bigger. It's just deeper. There's it's beautiful. And you feel small in the place. You can imagine John, at least I can imagine John, looking at this and his, his forehead is kind of wrinkled, you know? Someone is on the throne and there's lightning and it feels really big in here. And then he sees that there are 24 other thrones around the main throne. <clears throat> and you know, it looks like 24 kings sitting on them. They're dressed in white robes and they have golden crowns. But they're not like the king in the middle, clearly, but they look important. What are they there for? Are they advisors? Uh, but they look important. And then he notices at the very center around the throne, there are four creatures. And if it hap has not happened before now, this is when John turns to his little dog, Toto, and says, I don't think we're in Patmos anymore, Toto, right? Because these creatures are wild. It says the, the one, well, the one has a face of a lion. And one is like an ox. And one is like a man. And one is like an eagle. And they each have six wings and they're covered with eyes all over them, even under their wings, he says. <clears throat> but it's interesting, these creatures in the middle, 
are really strange and, and big. They sound strong, don't they? Lion, ox, man, I assume that's like an NFL man, an eagle. But, you know, all these eyes, but you don't have any sense here that they're looking at John because they're totally focused on the throne. And they're like the worship leaders because they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're the ones ultimately who tell John who it is sitting on this throne. They confirm what maybe he is thinking. This is God. And they're worshiping him. Why? Because of who he is. Because he is holy. And when they start worshiping, the 24 elders fall down on the floor. They put their crowns before the throne. And they worship God because of what he has done. Because he has created all things. And by his will, they have their being. Can you see that? The throne, the light, the color, it's beautiful. The lightning, the thunder, the torches, all of this reflected in the floor, the four creatures. Holy, holy, holy. Now my question is, how do you react to that scene? How do you react to that? How does it make you feel? What does it make you think? Does it fill you with joy? Does it make you want to dance? Does it scare you? Does it inspire you? Does it confuse you? I think you need to stay there and absorb that. And I think your response depends in many ways on what's happening in your life right now, probably. But I wanted to share what my response was when I read this passage in my own devotions a couple weeks ago. And what happened to me, in a sense. When I read this passage and I allowed myself to enter into it and be there with John, my overwhelming response was that I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I don't fit in this place. Um, I'm, I'm not on this wavelength or something. I'm, and I'm uncomfortable here. And I think maybe I should stay over in the shadows by the wall and hope nobody sees me. Because who knows what will happen if they find out I'm here. I've been to a, a really expensive store a few times, clothing store. And I remember one time, and one of the salespeople started coming toward me. And I thought, ooh, I better get out of here right now, because <laughs> I don't belong in this place. And that's how I felt when I read this. And especially what caught my attention was this constant worship, day and night. And I thought, you know, I, uh, that's not me. I. I worship occasionally, sometimes on Sunday mornings. Sometimes I'm just there on Sunday mornings. Sometimes I do worship. And 
And not only do I just not worship God all the time, but I just absolutely dishonor him. I call myself a Christian, and I think, heavens, you know, I wouldn't want to have me be using my name if I were God. And I've often thought, you know, when the, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the disciples fell asleep, you know, you go, you know, I can really identify with that. I've always felt like I'm the guy who fell asleep because uh, I'm just not on the wavelength here. Um, and the next thing that I had that came to me as I was thinking these things about the throne room and my presence there was I, I wondered, how did I ever get here? How in the world did I get here? And the answer to that is what's exciting. And it's in the text. Because someone brought me there. John didn't stumble on this place. Someone took him there. And the person who took me there, the person who took you there, is Jesus, obviously. This is astounding, but what is Jesus' purpose or goal for you? The answer, his purpose or goal is to introduce you to the Father. And here you are. Jesus died so that you could be introduced to the Father. That's phenomenal. Your sin was washed away. It's true, he died and that paid for your sin. But that's not the point, just to be forgiven. The point is to meet the Father. And here you are. How did I get here? Jesus brought me here. That's amazing. And then it occurred to me, you know, I'm here not just because Jesus wanted to drag me home and introduce me to his Father, but the Father was the one who wanted me to come here because he sent Jesus and said, go get Len. That is just incredible to me that the Father sent him to get me. And I'm not an intruder that's unwelcome in this room. I am there because I was invited. I was brought. I was there because it was God's choice to bring me I'm there by a plan. He had planned to bring me to this place. That just un that's just unbelievable to me. And rather than being in danger, uh, all of this power from this God uh, is for my benefit. I mean, he, this powerful God has chosen to be my protector. He has chosen to be my guide through my life. He has chosen, this is, you ready for this? He has chosen to be my father. <laughs> and all of this power means I'm secure. And that's exactly why John wrote this letter in the beginning. You remember, the Christians were being persecuted. And he's saying, here is the father. He's saying, the father's here. He'll be okay. The father's here. Everything is going to be okay. And that's exactly what he says to us. The Father is here. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, I talked to someone yesterday who's been out of work for six months. You know, and uh, 
this is saying, you know, the Father is here. You'll be okay. And uh, I talked to someone else who's very sick. And this is saying, the Father's here. You'll be okay. Hang on to the Father here. And whatever it is with your children and the worries you have for them or your marriage, John takes us and introduces us to the Father here, saying, you'll be okay, ultimately. And as this sort of settled on me as I was there in Revelation, my reaction that morning sitting in my office was just to kind of shake my head. And then I just said, thank you, Father. And really, you know, I just sort of, I did actually get down on my knees. And I said, thank you, Lord. And I really just joined these four creatures and these 24 elders in worshiping God. And, you know, they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I don't know how, what you hear when you hear that. When you think of holiness in God, on one hand, I'm sure you think of perfection. You think, I can't get too close because I'm not holy. That's right. That's right. And in one sense, holiness means this otherness. He's so different than us that he's just other, sort of metaphysically different. But it also, in Scripture, becomes almost a summary statement of who God is in the sense that it summarizes all of the wonderful qualities about God which make us love him. He's holy, not just because they're not, the, the four living creatures are not going, oh, you're metaphysically different, you're metaphysically different. You know, they're excited to worship him because they're saying, you are so holy in your love for us. It never stops. It's not like my love. You know, and you are so holy, Lord God, in your faithfulness. You know what's going on in my life, and you never leave me in the midst of it. You never abandon me. And you're so holy in your patience. Golly, Lord, you know, I'm so impatient, and you are so patient and forgiving with me day in and day out. Holy are you, Lord God. And you're holy in your wisdom. You know exactly what to do, and I don't know what to do. Your wisdom is so different than mine. You are so holy and wonderful. And your power, your power which is limited, and I know you can take care of me. You are so holy in all of this. And I stopped, in a sense, and I just said, thank you, Lord. And I began to understand holiness in a new way there, that I just wanted to say, you are holy, Lord, because you, you are so holy in your love and your faithfulness and your patience and your goodness. Uh, the worship leaders come on back up here because the only way to respond to this text, it seems to me, is not to write down some new information in your book, obviously. But this passage really does show us our purpose. It was Jesus' goal to introduce us to the Father. And our purpose, as the confession says, really is to glorify God 
and enjoy him forever. Glorify the Lord, not just as little machines that are programmed to say, holy, 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 you know, but glorify God as people who are just going, thank you. You are so holy, Lord God. Just grateful people who understand that. And right now, you know, just like I do, our worship is so weak because we really just don't see who the Lord is. We really do, like Paul says, look through a glass darkly. And when we see him, we really will worship him. And the more we see him, the more we, we will just naturally worship him. And I think the passage is an invitation to just reflect on God's holiness a little bit uh, and the wonderful qualities that make up who he is. And the only response really is, even if you, even if you are not filled with a wonder of God, it's like the, the 24 elders, I can relate to this, he is just flat out worthy of my respect and my obeisance, my honor. And if I could do nothing else, I can at least fall down on my knees and honor him as God. And so let's stand and just honor him as God again.